0: You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. I started this morning. I want to just. Uh... Remind you, we've been having it in the bulletin and I think on the emails and just in a variety of formats, but we're going to be doing baptisms next Sunday. Uh, we'll have the baptismal found all set up here. So if you are interested um, in getting baptized, we're going to do it by immersion. Um, you can uh, talk to me uh, in between services or talk to Pastor Mark. Um, we've got a, a sheet that'll kind of give you just information on what you can expect and how to prepare for that uh, next week. So. Uh, If you are doing that and you've not gotten one of these from me yet, uh, see either me or Pastor Mark after services, and we'll get that done. The exciting thing is, if you're here next Sunday, what you're going to see is there's a lot of kids getting baptized, which is awesome. Um, And so just as if you're a parent here uh, this morning, and maybe kind of um, mulling that over in your mind, um, we're going to do with the, with the kids, we'll get them in the in the baptismal fountain. I know some of the kids are comfortable with the full immersion. Some of the kids, what we're going to do just because of the fear uh, um, maybe of water, of, of being put underwater, we'll just kind of put them in there, and then I'll just kind of take and, and cup some water and just do it over their head, so that way they're not having to be completely immersed. So if there's an openness um, for any of the kids uh, to do that, we want to just welcome Welcome them to be a part of that. So, we've got a lot of kids that are going to be participating uh, next week along with, with adults. So, that's really exciting. So, if you are interested uh, or want a little bit more uh, details on that, like I said, you can just see me or Mark following service or just give us a call this week and we'd love to visit with you a little bit more about that. Back in uh, December of 1980 or 98, on the cover of Life magazine were these words When you think about God, what do you see? I thought that was kind of an intriguing question. Many of the responses are kind of what you might expect you know, love, peace, uh, a cosmic force, uh, a powerful spirit, creator, uh, some kind of uh, thought of more as a, a judge. And again, the way we respond to that question really reveals a lot about our concept, and our understanding of who God is to us. Now, the more I kind of thought about that question, I wondered, uh, how many people, I mean, how would people in the Bible, I mean, Bible characters, how would they have answered that question? When you think of God, what do you see? And the more I thought about it, my mind kind of just kept coming back to one word, holy. God is holy, I thought about Moses' his first encounter with God there on the mountain. And Moses sees this bush that's burning. It's not being consumed. And as God speaks to him from that burning bush, God requests Moses to remove the sandals from his feet because the ground upon which he stood was holy because of God's presence. So Moses' first encounter. With God, he sees and he experiences God's holiness. I think of Isaiah in chapter 6, where he sees the Lord sitting on a throne, high and exalted, lifted up. It says that the train of his robe was filling the temple. And Isaiah, he hears the seraphim. They're crying out to one another in this presence, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. I'll say a little bit more about that later. My point being here that Isaiah, the first thing he encounters when he sees God is his holiness. In Daniel chapter 4, King Nebuchadnezzar has this vision and he brings Daniel in to interpret it. And in verse 13, King Nebuchadnezzar says, I saw in the visions of my head while on my bed there was a watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, again, in that vision, he encounters the holiness of God. Now, however you and I may think about God or how we may see him when we think of him, I think most people's view of God today, I think even a growing number of those inside the church, I I think it is being lost, this, this concept of the holiness of God Consider the following statement from the author, David Wells, from his book, No Place for Truth. And here he says, the loss of the traditional vision of God as holy is now manifested everywhere in the evangelical world. It is the key to understanding why sin and grace have become such empty terms. What depth or meaning can these terms have except in relation to the holiness of God? Divorced from the holiness of God, sin is merely self-defeating behavior or a breach in etiquette. Divorced from the holiness of God, grace is merely empty rhetoric, pious window dressing for the modern technique by which sinners work out their own salvation. Divorced from the holiness of God, our gospel becomes indistinguishable from any host of alternate self-help doctrines. Divorced from the holiness of God, our public morality is reduced to little more than an accumulation of trade-offs between competing private and interest. Divorced from the holiness of God, our worship becomes mere entertainment. The holiness of God is the very cornerstone of Christian faith, for it is the foundation of reality Sin is defiance of God's holiness. The cross is the outworking and victory of God's holiness. And faith is the recognition of God's holiness. Knowing that God is holy is therefore key to knowing life as it truly is, knowing Christ as He truly is, knowing why He came, and knowing how life will end. Truth is, not every Christian is called to preach. Not every Christian has been called to be a missionary in some third world country. Not every Christian has been called to be a worship leader. Not every Christian has even been called to be married. But every Christian has been called to be holy. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one, We'll see the Lord. I'll tell you what, when, I, when, when I'm thinking on, on sermon series, it's almost as if, you know, I just feel like the, the Spirit of God a lot of times will just lead me to a phrase or a, a word, a, a scripture, and, and I'll, I'll just feel the presence of God kind of just settle on that word, that phrase, that scripture, that concept, whatever it may be. And for a while, I just feel like God has just had me kind of camping out in, in, on this word holiness. 1 Peter 1 beginning in verse 15 says, but now you must be holy in everything you do just as God who chose you is holy for the scriptures say. And then he's quoting here Leviticus 11.45. He says, you must be holy because I am holy. So just from these two Bible verses, we understand the importance of holiness to God and why as believers, we need to both understand what holiness is and pursuing holiness in our walk with God. Now, before we get into this, I want you to understand there is a beauty to holiness. Thank you, Jim and Mary. There is a beauty to holiness. I know a lot of times when you hear this word, there's just a lot of fear and trepidation in the the Christian faith on this word. But I want you to understand there is a beauty to holiness. And God wants to reveal that to our hearts. Because when God reveals that to your hearts, folks, it's going to inspire your worship. It is going to energize your prayer life. That word beauty, it may not be, again, the first word that pops into your head when you hear the word holy or holiness, but just look at what the scripture says. 1 Chronicles 16, 29 says, give to the Lord the glory, do his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Second Chronicles 20, verse 21 says, and when he, Jehoshaphat, had consulted with the people. He appointed those who would sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Psalm 96 verse nine says, oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. There is a beauty to holiness and I believe God desires to give us a. a revelation for us to experience the beauty of his holiness this side of heaven. Now, this beauty of holiness, again, it's not an outward display of beauty, but rather it is an inward display of beauty that does eventually manifest itself in outward ways. It's like a purity And when we're walking before the Lord in holiness, again, there's just going to be this inner beauty, this inner purity in our spirit, in our hearts, that will not only be pleasing to God, but it will draw and inspire others towards him. When I think of the beauty of holiness, I think of the purest of purity as it exists in God. As I stated earlier, the prophet Isaiah had this glimpse of the beauty of holiness there in Isaiah 6. And in verse 2 again, he hears the response of the seraphim. These are the angels. And they're crying out, holy, holy, holy. It's all they could think to say. There was no other word that could capture what they were seeing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. In that one verse, we are taught without question the greatest lesson of God in all the Bible. For here we see the brilliant essence of who God is. It isn't power. The seraphim were not crying out, omnipotent, omnipotent, omnipotent. God's brilliant essence, it's not perception. They were not crying out, omniscient, omniscient, omniscient. God's brilliant essence is not presence. They were not crying out, omnipotent, omniescence, omniescence, omniescence. God's brilliant essence is purity. They were crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Do you see that in the Song of the Seraphim, the word holy? It's repeated three times in Hebrew poetry. Repetition is a form of emphasis. We want to emphasize the importance of something in English. Again, in our language, we have several ways of doing that. You can underline it. You can highlight it. You can put it in italics. You can boldface it. Or we can just put an exclamation point at the end of the sentence. Sometimes we'll use quotation marks. But the Jewish people had different ways to indicate emphasis. And one of the primary ways was the method of repetition. So to repeat something three times in succession was to elevate it to a superlative degree. It would attach to it the greatest importance. Only once in all of the Bible, do you realize this? Only once, in all of the Bible is an attribute of God elevated to the third degree. The Bible doesn't say God is love, 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 or mercy, 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 or grace, grace, grace. And until you begin with the holiness of God, and there you see holy, holy, holy is the Lord. You'll never understand any of the other attributes of God the way they really are. You'll never understand his love, his grace, his mercy, his justice, apart from his holiness. You may find it interesting to know that seven out of every 12 references to the name of God in the Old Testament refers to him as holy, meaning in God there is nothing untrue. Destructive or imperfect. In God's holiness, again, you find the essence of purity that defines and distinguishes good and evil. In His holiness, He is the God who cannot lie and who cannot commit wrong. He is the thrice holy God of Israel who loves goodness, hates wickedness, and will one day judge this world in righteousness. So there is a beauty, there is a purity to holiness. And I hope as we pursue this series, that you'll begin to discover, to experience, and to see what this beauty of holiness is. Now, the word holy in the Greek language is the uh, word hagios, and it means set apart, sanctified, consecrated. So to be holy is to be distinct. It's to be separate. It's to be in a class by oneself. It's what separates God from all other false gods. Exodus 15, 11 says, who is like you, O Yahweh, among the gods? Who is like you? You are glorious because of your holiness and awe-inspiring because of your splendor. Theologian and author R.C. Sproul defines holiness this way. He says, the primary meaning of holy is separate it comes from an ancient word that meant to cut or to separate. He says, perhaps even more accurate would be the phrase, a cut above something. When we find a garment or another piece of merchandise that is outstanding, that has superior excellence, we use the expression that it is a cut above the rest. So the word holy or holiness means that the one who is holy is uniquely holy. He is set apart, separate, with no rivals or competition. When the Bible refers to God as holy, it means primarily that God is transcendentally separate. By that I mean he is so far above and beyond us that he seems almost totally foreign. To be holy is to be other, to be different in a special way. The same basic meaning is used when the word "holy" is attached to earthly things. If you've ever studied the ark, if you've ever studied the, the temple, you'll know that many of the items that they used in the temple, they were referred to as "holy items." Easton's Bible Dictionary defines holiness as the highest sense belongs to God and to Christians as consecrated to God's service and insofar as they are conformed in all things to the will of God. Personal holiness is a work of gradual development. It is carried on under many hindrances, hence the free admonishments to watchfulness, prayer, and perseverance. Joel Scrandit, a professor at Drew University, defines holiness this way. He says, to be set apart or dedicated to God. Belonging to God. I love that. That's holiness. It's belonging to God. I will be your God and you will be my people, says Yahweh in Leviticus 26.12 and Hebrews 8.10. He says, thus, prior to any consideration of morality, biblical holiness describes a unique relationship that God has established and desires with his people. Everywhere I looked and really kind of putting this together, the one common theme among all of the people was, this is a really hard word to describe. It's a whole lot easier to experience the holiness of God than to really kind of understand it. Now let's just talk about the elephant in the room when we mention this word, holy or holiness. For a lot of Christians, uh, the word holy or holiness, it kind of just conjures up past negative images or or kind of musty pictures of hellfire and brimstone preaching, maybe tent revivals, along with a list of rules such as, and and there was a time, there, there still may be today, there was a holiness movement. I mean, I I would hear about the holiness movement. Do you know what I would hear about the holiness movement? The list of what you couldn't do. No dancing, no smoking, no going to movie theaters, no playing cards, no dancing. The word holy or holiness really kind of became more about what you couldn't do than what holiness was really all about. Let me make one statement about holiness, and we're just going to spend whatever time we've got left this morning just unpacking it. Holiness, I believe as God sees it, is more a state of being than it is of doing. Holiness is more a state of being than a state of doing. Your holiness before God is more about your growing in relationship and intimacy with him than what it is you do for him. What you do for God, the way you serve him, the way you live your life before him, the way you obey his commands, the fruit of our lives, all of that is extremely important to God. And they are an indispensable part of the Christian life. But I want you to understand, all of that is secondary to a relationship with him. The moment you said yes to Jesus, the moment you repent of your sins, the moment you receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the moment you are born again, the God who is separate, the one who is far above and beyond The one who is totally other. God is holy. He is separate from anything else. And when you and I, when we are born again, God takes us and he separates us from wherever we are and just unites us unto himself. The moment you begin this uniquely, Holy relationship with God. He forgives you of your sins through the shed blood of Christ. He separates you. As part of what he separates you from is from the penalty of death. He unites you to himself. He consecrates you because that's what God's holiness does. He consecrates you as a new creation in Christ. Paul says the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You belong to him. And you are now in a living, dynamic relationship with him. You become dead to self, dead to others, dead to the world, dead to sin. And you are wholly alive unto him and for him. He now becomes your all and all. You, the created one, you now have a relationship with the creator. There is wholeness and holiness now between you and God. Again, this is part of the beauty of holiness. When you begin to see that and to understand that, there's a beauty to it. It's mind-boggling. As I said, you cannot fully wrap your mind around this concept because it is so foreign to anything we've ever known or experienced. The problem for a lot of us when we kind of start to pursue holiness is we focus away from the relationship of holiness to the rules of holiness. Rather than, who am I in this relationship, and who are you? It becomes, what do I gotta do in this relationship? What are the rules? Now, am I saying that moral purity, that obedience to God's commands are not important? Absolutely not. But those, again, are secondary to the relationship where more often than not, we make the rules, the commands primary, the relationship secondary or worse. You were set apart. That's what God's holiness does. God is set apart and and when he is wholly set apart and, and you become holy, you are set apart with him. And you're set apart for a specific purpose. And that purpose is to be loved by God fully and to love God and one another. And again, the moment you take your focus away from the relationship and you put it onto the rules, to the commands, to obedience, you lose the whole purpose of being in relationship with God. It all becomes about doing rather than being. You were set apart for relationship. Not for obedience to commands and rules. And once it becomes about the rules, we have disregarded, we have misunderstood, we are misapplying the very purpose for which we were set apart for. Interesting, Jesus said in John 14, 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. Do you know how a lot of us hear that verse? And I'm I'm guilty of this all the time. If you keep my commandments, you love me. That's not what Jesus said. The way Jesus said it there in John puts the focus on loving him first and foremost, which is the whole reason we were set apart and consecrated for. When you love Jesus wholly first and foremost, you know what? You'll just want to keep his commands. It's not going to be a burden. It's going to be a pleasure. I love you. Of course I want to do what you want me to do. When you loving Jesus first and foremost, keeping his commandments, it's not going to feel burdensome. It's not going to feel difficult. There is going to be a joy and an eagerness in obeying because it's just flowing out of this love relationship between you and Jesus. And whenever we make it, the relationship's secondary, and we make the commandments, the list of rules primary, we end up with religion and legalism. In John 14, 21, Jesus said, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. Again, the emphasis is, it, it, it's the one who loves me. Keeping God's commandments are only possible when we are loving him first and foremost. And if you're striving, if your life is all about keeping the commandments of God without First and foremost, loving him. I'll tell you what, I I can pretty much predict you're very frustrated, you're weighed down, you're joyless, you're rigid, and you're only here this morning to check the box off on your weekly to-do list. When our primary focus is on loving Jesus, you'll just walk more easily, more effortlessly, in obedience to his commands. Now, not all the time and not every command. I'm just saying overall. That's why when one of the Pharisees came to Jesus in Matthew 22 and asked him, said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, Jesus has got 635 commandments to choose from. And so he says, okay, basically of these 635 commandments, tell me which one is the most important, which one is the greatest. And Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And he goes on and he says, the second one is kind of like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Folks, when you, we, we get that one commandment right, And again, it deals with our relationship with God. When we make that commandment, that pursuit, our primary focus, obedience to all of the other commandments will be so much easier and more attainable. There'll be a joy, there'll be a delight in what you're doing, how you're living, the ways you're serving him. When we make that commandment, that pursuit, our primary focus... Everything else will just fall into place. But again, if we make it all about the rules, which is a lot of times what we do with holiness, we think about holiness and we think of all the ways that we're falling short in our relationship with God, all the things that we've got to correct and do right, do better, do harder. When we make all of that about the rules, first and foremost, and loving God secondary, you will miss the beauty of holiness Which is knowing we have been set apart for a very special purpose. To be fully loved and to be fully accepted by God. And learn how to love him in return with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Remember in Revelation the message Jesus gave to John regarding the church in Ephesus? Listen to this beginning in chapter 2. Verse 2, Jesus says to, to John, he says, tell the church there in Ephesus, I know all the things you do. I've seen your hard work. I've seen your patient endurance. Because I have this one complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Return to your first love. My guess is is that's kind of what holiness became about there in the church of Ephesus. It all became about what they did. That was primary. Loving God, loving Jesus was secondary or worse. And Jesus kind of just comes out and says, hey man, return to your first love. The church in Ephesus lost their primary focus Making all that they were doing their primary focus, and what they were doing was commendable. Don't don't miss that. It was all good stuff that Jesus recognizes there. Let me ask you this how much are we doing for God that is simply a replacement of having a relationship with Him? Return to your first love. That's the beauty of holiness. I've been separated from my sins. I have been united to a holy God for the purpose of being fully loved, fully accepted, to love him in return. Not for what I can do for him, but for the joy of being in his presence, his son, his daughter, his prized possession. I think this is at the heart of what Jesus was getting at there in Matthew 7, verse 22. He says, many are going to say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles, and then Jesus will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Look at that. Everything on that list is commendable. And I believe we should be doing those works and more. But the issue Jesus identifies there, there was no relationship, no intimacy, only works, only obedience. The works should be secondary. The relationship with Jesus, primary. That's why I say holiness, folks, it is a whole lot more about being than it is about doing. Doing should flow out of being in relationship with God. Notice what they don't say there in Matthew, four, in Matthew seven. They didn't say, Lord, Lord, we loved you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Man, if that had been their response to Jesus, He would have replied saying, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter in. But they, a lot of times like us, and I'm I'm guilty of this as anybody. We want to make it all about the works, whereas Jesus makes it all about relationship with him first. Again, good works are crucial Our righteous deeds, they are of utmost importance. I am not downplaying them. I'm not minimizing them. Please don't hear that. We will be held accountable for our actions. Every word spoken, we're going to give an account to that someday. But all of this is secondary to the unique relationship you and I have been set apart to have with God. And many people have erred when it comes to being holy as God is holy because we've made the focus our acts of holiness rather than our belonging to Him. I'm going to continue on this uh, whole theme this coming Wednesday night at our Renew service. I've kind of decided this year what I preach about on Sunday mornings I'm gonna expand upon on Wednesday night during our Renew service uh, at 6.30 here at the church. So if you're interested in hearing more about that, just invite you to come on Wednesday night. I don't know about you, I can only speak for me, but when I'm struggling with obedience, or I just find myself struggling with temptation, it's because my focus is on something other than loving Jesus with my whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I find if I'll just stop focusing on that trying to beat this or to try to do this better, if I'll just get my focus off of that and just kind of get it back on to loving Jesus first and foremost, I'm sorry I've made it all about this when it really needs to be about this. Jason talked about windshield time. Get windshield time with God. Get it off of this and get it on the windshield with God. And I'll tell you what, if you'll just, you'll just stop, whatever you're doing, whatever little you know, chasing of your tail you're doing right now with obedience, with God, with rules and regulations and commands, if you'll just stop all of that and just simply put your eyes back on Jesus, obedience flows a lot more easily and temptation loses its power. I just need to remember, return to your first love. Now, I don't know about you where you are in all of this as you look at your walk right now, but here's the good news, and I close with this. You can be here this morning and you can be so tied up in knots trying to keep all of the laws, the rules, and commands of God. And God would just simply say to you this morning in the midst of all of that, stop, return to your first love. Stop trying to please me by keeping rules and commands and obedience. Just love me with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. And I'll give you the power. I'll give you the ability to do the rest. Get back to the relationship, and everything else will kind of just start to fall into place Maybe you're here this morning and you've just completely collapsed under the burden of all of the rules, the commands, and you've pretty much just given up. Maybe you're just here this morning to check a box off your weekly to-do list. There, God, I at least went to church. Get off my back. God's word to you this morning would simply be the same. Return to your first love. I, I didn't call you to do. I called you to Be. Jesus invites us in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. And I'll tell you what, folks, if you're all about the rules and the commands, I'll tell you this morning, I know, I know how you feel in your spirit. I know how you feel in your soul. I've been there. You just feel a heaviness, a weariness, because that's not what this is all about. Again, it's important It's secondary. The relationship is primary. And Jesus said, when you'll stop all of this and just come unto him, what does he say? I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. What are you going to learn from him? What's that yoke? Return to your first love. It says, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Think about that. Loving God, first and foremost, with all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength. That is easy. We can do that. That is light. We can do that. So this morning I want to just ask those of you that that are here this morning, maybe like me that that and I've been in this place a thousand times. Maybe you're here this morning and there is just a heaviness, there is a weariness in your walk with Jesus this morning because you've kind of made it all about the rules and the laws. You've made it all about obedience to him. And you've kind of ditched or you've kind of just sidelined the relationship. And again, what God would say to you this morning, return to your first love. Just love me with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And I know sometimes people, you know, how, how do you love Jesus I'll give you a really simple way to start this morning. When Jesus was with his disciples, he took some bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. And what he was doing was he was identifying with their brokenness, the brokenness of sin, the brokenness that sin had caused in their life. Jesus, he's kind of acknowledging that. And then he took a cup and he lifted that up and he gave thanks to God and he said, drink from this all of you, this is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many. For the forgiveness of sin. He said, every time you do it, do it in remembrance of me. This is returning to your first love. Because Jesus said, no greater love than this. That a man would lay down his life for his friends. When Jesus' body was broken, his blood was shed, it was the laying down of his life so you and I could have life and forgiveness. And when we just simply come and we just acknowledge what the bread and what the juice represents this morning, we're loving him. I love you, Jesus, for what you did for me. I love you, Jesus, that you loved me so much that you were willing to come and to lay down your life for me. I love that about you. That can just be simple starting place this morning and then just purpose in your heart as you go through the day the week this week just simply shoot up this simple prayer god would you just teach me how to love you more jesus teach me how to love you more holy spirit teach me show me the way of love he will It's not going to be about a bunch of rules, commands. It's not going to be God saying, now do this, do that. There may come some of that. But my guess is what most of you are going to hear is just this word, rest. Rest in me. Abide in me is a word Jesus liked to use in John. Just abide, be in his presence. Enjoy him. Love him. Receive his love for you. Receive his acceptance for you. Return to your first love. So I, that's my challenge this morning. If you're here this morning, and I'm not asking again, this is not, this is not a obedience to a rule here this morning, but, but if you're here this morning. And you just feel that need this morning to return to your first love. Maybe you've made it more about something else, whatever that something else may be. And this morning, you just feel the spirit of God just saying to you, my son, my daughter, return to your first love. That's you this morning. I'm just going to invite you to stand where you are. I'm going to pray for you this morning. And we're just going to go into a time of worship. Also have an opportunity this morning uh, to receive communion again. John Wesley called it the, a love feast. That's really what it is. It's just feasting. It's celebrating the love of God through Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. So if at some point you feel led to come and take communion, just come take a piece of bread. Just dip that in the juice. Partake by intinction this morning. Father, we just thank you so much. Thank you, Lord, that no matter how far off the beaten path we get in our relationship with you, God, your, your word to us is always the same. Return to your first love. God, we see it even in Revelation, one of the greatest churches of all time, the church of Ephesus, God. They even lost their focus at one point. And God, they didn't face condemnation, wrath, guilt, fear, none of that, just those words return to your first love. And so this morning, Father, for for those of us, including me, that oftentimes make it about what we do, Lord, we make it about all of the commands, and then we just feel the crushing weight of all of that, especially in our failures, to live up to it, to keep them. And so God, for those of us that have gotten our eyes off of you and onto those things, this morning, God, we just ask, Lord, that you would be the lifter of our heads this morning, just lifting our eyes, our focus back onto you this morning. And God, we repent for the thing that we've made it, and losing you in the midst of that so this morning father again we just we just we just come back and our prayer to you simply this morning is god teach us how to love you first and foremost god teach us how to love you with all of our heart mind soul and strength and i believe as jesus said lord in that place we will find rest we will find the beauty of holiness what it means to be separated and belonging to you. So this morning, Father, we just ask, Lord, that you come and just lead our hearts back to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.